is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Rebecca Wolf, we dive even deeper into all of this, a memoir of death and desire. We talk about her writing process and death. So I hope you enjoy this part two with Rebecca Wolf. Getting into the um, writing process for you, and I, I, we can tell writing is a part of every bit of life for, you know, it's every day, it's every moment in a way. As you yeah. live, do you ever get stuck? And if so, how do you get unstuck? So I've never really, I mean, it's not that I don't get unstuck. Like I'm mm. always unstuck. I'm always, I mean, I'm always Sorry, it's never so that I don't get stuck. I'm always stuck. There's always something that I'm trying uh, to figure out. Okay. But that's sort of my thing. I don't the whole point of writing for me is to get unstuck in my head. Like I think I think for me, I think a lot of people who write, they write and they have like their schedule and they sit down this hour and they do this. For me, writing is like an extension of who I am. It's like if something's happened, I the only way for me to really understand it is to write about it first. Like I'm constantly working through everything that way. And I always have, hmm. so I don't get writer's block. Cause that'd be like, how do you not, how do you get stuck on a, on like a, a, a thought in your head? It's like, just, I'm just like filtering it through me. So it's not, does that make sense? That like, does. it's not, it's not a practice for me. It's like a part of my whole like central nervous system. Um, yeah. you know, in the same way I like eat every day and like I hydrate and I drink a certain, like, yeah. it's just, a, it's a, something's happening. I'm constantly like, I have my, my phone and my notes open and my, you know, everything that's in my book started off in my notes app, everything yeah. that I post in any essay that I write or caption or yeah. column that I write starts in my notes. Like I'm constantly filtering what's happening in my life through, you know, through my fingers in this way. Hmm. Um, and I always have. So, Is um, is that therapeutic for you? Do you find it a therapy in it almost in a sense? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, I think I know myself really well because I've been, you know, sort of working on like all, all day I'm trying to figure shit out and questioning myself and mm -hmm. questioning my responses to things. And, mm -hmm. and that to me, you know, that's what I write about. I write sort of I write sort of as a question to myself and then hopefully in the end I have not, not, not even an answer, but just sort of a, I've established sort of a connection to what it is I'm asking the question about. Mm. Um, because I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's our job as writers to answer questions. I think it's our job to ask them mm. and to sort of understand where they come from and to allow ourselves not to know the answers to them. Um, and that was sort of, you know, that was the book I wrote. That's why it ended the way it did. Mm. Um, because I, we don't, we don't know. We don't. And, and I don't think as writers, we're writing to figure it out. Mm. Um, I think we're writing because <laughs> I think it's like, it's comforting to know that you can write 400 pages about something that you don't know about and then still not know about it at the end, because we, we don't. Yeah. We're, we, this is, that's what, you know, that's just life. Like we yeah. don't, we don't know. We, I mean, that's why death is so interesting to me and so exciting to me really is because mm. there's nothing we can do. We can ask every kind of question. We can study it from the beginning of time. We can, there can be scientists that are, you know, we're going to spend billions of government dollars trying to figure mm. out this thing. And like, we're never going to figure it out. It's like the only thing left that we absolutely have no idea about. And 
that's just, that's like a relief to me because we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to know everything. And, 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 um, I just, I, I love that. I love that. Here's this thing that like, we still don't know about. We've all, you know, we can like take pictures of like space 50 billion light years away and we still don't know what happens when we die. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of life's major mysteries. I Yeah. I wonder, you know, when you go through such a traumatic events and how complicated life is, uh, Mm. pushing through the pain or moving through the pain and keeping it healthy, right? Mentally, physically, et cetera. I wonder if there's any, any tools or takeaways that you have or that you've learned from, you know, moving through unknown and moving through pain and, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, I, my whole thing, and I know I've, feel like I'm repeating myself too, is like that validating every feeling and it's validating validating every feeling that I was having in that experience, Mm -hmm. validating every experience, all the feelings my kids were having Mm -hmm. friends, family. Um, I feel like valid that we we're constantly asking people how they are. How are you? How are you? Like, are you okay? Are you okay? Mm. And we ask all these sort of hollow questions that don't do anything. They don't validate anyone's feelings. And I'm always telling people when they're like, is there something I can say to someone who's just lost somebody? Mm. And it's instead of asking them how they feel, just tell them that you validate every feeling that they're feeling, that it doesn't even matter how they feel. Mm. Um, Because you're, you're going, there's this sort of assumption that you're, you know, that, that, that when you go through a traumatic event, that it's just this, that it's sad. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's so many different feelings that are happening for people who are moving through grief. And, um, you know, I just, I just, I think, I think validating, I think separating yourself, you know, from the person who's going through, you know, a trauma, a, a death, et cetera, and sort of giving them space to feel all the feelings that they need to feel and loving them sort of unconditionally is, is the move. Um, and I, and that's sort of how I, you know, I, I tried to do that for myself as well. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, uh, uh, you know, it's odd to say this, but a kudos and a thank you for being so honest in your writing, because I know people are, you grow from that, you know, even if you cannot speak about it personally, reading it, there's so much on the inside of a human that they, they grow from, even though they can't communicate because people are just generally yeah. speaking, not wonderful communicators. And I think it's also interesting when it comes to death, how mm. almost in a sense selfish the event can become. We lost someone in my family about a month ago and it's a mm. lot of like, I'm so sorry for your loss. How are you? And it has everything to do with how they feel protecting Always. onto. And I'm like, I'm having a good day. It's an up and a down, yeah. but like match yeah. my energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. not your, yeah. you know, it's all of our loss, but like, you know, it's closer to some than others and match it, you know, and it's interesting. Yeah. And to your point, it becomes performative because people expect you to feel, you know, when they're saying, how are you? Yes. You kind of have to match their intensity and say like, I'm okay. But maybe you're, maybe you're having a really great fucking day. What are you going to say? They're like, how are you? And you're like, I'm great. Like, woo. It's been it's like TJF. I'm going out tonight. Like, right. so yes. this, it's like, we're, we're, we like, we really sort of temper our truth waiting to see how the other person's going to approach us, address us. And they respond usually based on how we're being talk to or the questions were being asked. And that is to me, like, that's, that's really, that's what I want to have a conversation about Mm -hmm. because 
because that projection, what is that? That that's very harmful to someone who's going through something. I don't think people realize that it's harmful. I think they, people mean well, and they want you to know that they care about you, but you're right. It is selfish. It does come from this place. It's like this. And it's also just, it's, it lacks imagination, (laughs) right? Like, again, like we lack imagination where it's like, we're supposed to say this. So we say this Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to do this. So we do this. And we don't question it. We just do it. And mm-hmm. I do it all the time too. Sometimes I'll catch myself. I'll ask someone like how they are. And I'm like, what the f-? I, literally all I do is rail against this question all day long. And I'm still doing it <laughs> until I have to stop myself and say, like, let me start over and, and like, you know, not ask that question, but it's really hard. It's really hard to like unlearn all this stuff. You know what? We just like our automatic responses to things are, are not coming from a place of here. They're coming from a place of here, what we're told of what we think we're supposed to do and not from like how we truly feel. Yeah. The social standards of it all, basically breaking yeah. that yeah. because especially, yeah. and then you go a month out and people stop talking to you about it because the events have ended, the events have ended and you have time to think more about what's actually gone on. So maybe you're doing worse than you were when it, cause shock has passed and it's so Oh my God, it's mind opening to see how bad people are communicating at death <laughs> with it. Horribly, horribly. And I, and it's because of the mystery on, that's what I think. Like I just did I a agree. whole column about this, about like, it is the, it's the mystery. And, and that's, that's why I, I feel like personally, like it's my job as a living, breathing human to just be preparing for death my whole life. And I don't mean that in like a cynical way. But I think, you know, I think for me, and I have so much perspective now going through a death and Mm -hmm. knowing now how I, how not, how I don't want to die and what I don't want to put my family through and what I don't want to put my, um, but I feel like getting comfortable with death and grief and all the different feelings that happen when someone dies and to really like explore those feelings and like a, like a curious way that isn't judgmental, like that's Mm -hmm. really helped me. And, you know, I, I feel, and my kids, like we have such a healthy relationship with death in my house we talk about it all the time. And, and I want my kids to get to a point in their lives when it's their time to die, whenever it is where they're not, where they're like, okay, I'm ready for this. Like I'm ready for the mystery. Like I'm ready and not, I don't want to raise children who are afraid to die. It's the one thing we're sure is going to happen to all of us. Mm -hmm. It's the one thing. So I'm like, this is what, this is it. This is what's coming, right? Like we prepare for all the stuff. We prepare for stuff that we don't, that's never going to happen. Yes. Ever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All we do in our lives is prepare for things that don't happen. It's like this one thing is going to happen Yeah. and we don't prepare. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it when it happens to somebody else. Mm -hmm. How are you? Oh my God. And then of course, like we don't want to talk about it after that. Um, Instead of just saying like, this is something that we should be talking about all the time forever. And when somebody dies, you know, we pick it up and we talk about that and what those feelings are like, and we hold space for all of them. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we, we keep talking about it, Mm -hmm. but, but you know, the fear, the fear is, you know, it just, it makes us, it makes us completely unable to, to communicate, to hold space, to be, you know, supportive friends of those who've lost people. Um, you know, it doesn't serve anybody. No, it doesn't. And it's such that we have such a miracle of life with birth, but we don't have a miracle of death. 
there's no real celebration of it or that not that you would but you sh- in a way you should it's it's a miracle it, there's guarantees yeah. birth death it's yeah. like life death yeah. it's guaranteed yeah. and yeah. it's so funny how people will pick and choose and that's what i love about like a memento mori you know something that reminds you it's coming you know it keeps you you know you're living you're you're alive yeah you know? and that's and Be that's alive. it right there that's it right there when you know you're going to die it's like what am i do like how do i to me it like keeps me in the moment cuz i'm like this is here now like here i am like this is the thing that exists and this is where I'm at. And, and I want to live. Am I living right now? Mm. Like, am I in my body right now? And if I'm not, what's keeping me from it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that too, especially, you know, when you're, when you're with someone who was like, goes from being like a really healthy, normal, you know, seeming everything's fine person. And then a week later is, you know, incapacitated because of an illness. You're like, Oh, shit happens fast. Like, yeah. And for people who have set, you know, people who they lose suddenly even more so, mm. you know, you're, you're here and then one day you're gone. And that to me, like, that doesn't feel scary to me. That idea that feels like, okay, this is, this is here to remind me that like, I, I better be like moving here in my life while I, while I can I have a working body, like, let me use it. You know, it's, I'm getting older every day. Things are going to work less well. Like, yeah. um, you know, so I might as well just like be here and alive. And, you know, our culturally, we don't, we really don't want people to live their lives. We want people to live our lives, right. Mm-hmm. To what, how we feel like they should live and what they should be doing. And we want it. everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, and, and, and a lot of people get scared when you're not living their lives, when you're living your lives and like, Oh, cause she's doing things differently. What does that mean for me and my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think I, I am really sort of in this mode now where I'm like, I'm living mine. It's not yours. Like this is my, and I get to, and thank, I'm like so grateful for it that I have it and I have this life. And I don't know if by the time this podcast is live, if I'm going to be, who knows, who knows. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Um, so, um, and that's, that's, that's the nature of, of, of being here. Uh. Um, so so yeah, it's a it's a it's a miraculous thing, and I, I thank you so much for diving so deep in it in the you know the memoir, but also in this conversation. Um, as we as we wrap up here, I have a few few questions left for you here, and they might might change our pace or might change. We might be bouncing around a little bit, or we might have already answered these questions. Even okay. given the pandemic and life and death, are there any other changes you've made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity in your life? I mean, I think, I think, I think I did sort of touch on this already, but I really do feel like being really honest and really unapologetic in who you are is really, it really keeps the people that love you, see you Mm. for who you are. It really like keeps your, it it, like, it's a litmus test, like it's very easy to know who your people are when you're willing to reveal who you are. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for me, I think sort of the sh- in, through COVID and everything else, it was sort of the shrinking where it was like, who really, who are my people? Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I feel really lucky because I feel like more than I ever have in my life that like, I actually, I'm surrounded by like my people, like my people, like mm-hmm. who see me and I see them. And, um, 
it's very equitable and we, we are, we, we love each other and we, we do things for each other and we support each other. And, um, I think, you know, I, I did not used to, I was, I used to be very <sighs> trying to like position myself with different kinds of people mm-hmm. trying to stay flexible to what they needed and not necessarily, you know, putting myself first. And I think, you know, in the last few years, writing this book was a huge part of that. COVID was a huge part of that. Mm. I've really sort of been like, you know what? No, I don't want to, I'm not going to try to like bend myself into a pretzel to make this relationship work. If it's not working, like I'm out. Um, and it's, that's okay. Like, it's okay to like sever ties with people Mm -hmm. and to, to end relationships. And, um, I think like loss again, like, um, this is like the newest project that I'm working on is about loss. It's about embracing loss and it's about being better at letting people go. And that it doesn't have to be this sad, terrible thing Mm. that we can have people in our lives and then not have them in our lives. And it, and, and that we, you know, by our very nature as people are constantly growing and changing. And of course we're going to grow and change and our relationships aren't going to fit us anymore. Mm. Um, Mm. And yeah, we're so like hell bent on longevity. Um, and, and we sort of feel bad if we can't make things work. Like we failed, our relationship failed and that it isn't a failure to advocate for yourself. Um, it isn't a failure for a relationship to end. It just, it was, it's time. Um, mm. and I just think like, you know, it, it, just staying open to endings, um, like allowing things to end, allow things to take their course, to have their life cycles. My son's about to go to college. And that's been like a huge, huge thing for me is like, how do I, how do I let him go? Like, it's loving to let him go. Like it's an act of love to let your child go. Mm. And it's like, it goes against every like instinct in your body, which is like, no, no. But like, that's love. Love is letting go. And I think it comes down to that. Like um, with death, with relationships, with our children, with ourselves, right. Mm. To like, let things go. Um, I think I just went on like a total tangent, ended up in a completely different neighborhood, but <laughs> no, but I love this though. This is like, it's, it's tab. These are ta- still taboo thoughts in our social yeah. norms of life. And I think the more people that can hear this and learn from it, this, the more we can all grow. Is there a common piece of incorrect advice you hear in your industry or just in life? Um, it's going to be okay. Um, it's going to be okay. I think that like, this is something because uh, again, like it's, it's platitudes, Mm. but also the idea that everything's supposed to be okay. The idea that everything's supposed to is false. So and, and I don't, again, I don't say, I say that like, as an, I'm an eternal optimist, mm. but this idea of, okay, it's going to be okay. First of all, what the, what does that even mean? But also <laughs> like, I don't know if it's going to be okay. And I, I think I, I learned a lot when my husband was dying and I was talking to my kid, you know, we sat the kids down to tell him he was dying and there's all these questions. And you're realizing as they're asking these questions that you don't have the answers to them. Yeah. And so you, it's like, I don't have the answers to these questions. And I think being sort of like, like maybe is a complete sentence. Like we don't always have to know. We don't always have to, it isn't going to be okay. Maybe Uh 
what does okay even mean? Do I want it to be okay? I actually would like it to be great. I don't want it to just be okay. But like we, when things are happening and like, I know I I've caught myself. I I don't do this anymore. This has become a thing for me with my kids. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I don't, it, I don't know if it's going to be okay. I don't know. I don't know. You're right. Are you going to die? Maybe like Mike, you know, my kids are afraid that I'm going to die at all the times because they lost their dad. And that's totally natural. And I could be like, no, I'm going to live forever. I will never die, but that's not true. And I think, and you can, and it is, there's levity to that. Like we can laugh about it and be like, I don't know guys. Like I'm well, maybe like, I hope I see you later. Like you can (laughs) totally, but this idea that like, it's like dismissive to say everything is going to be okay. Because a, maybe it shouldn't be okay. Maybe you're in a relationship that should, you want, you should get out of, and you shouldn't just wait till it becomes okay. It's like a passive thing to say. And again, we don't think about the things we're saying and like the damage that is just like very mundane, sort of just like everyday things, like what they mean. Um, and that to me, I, I, I just like, I really sort of started, I've started thinking a lot about what that means and what it means to say that and what we're dismissing when we say that. Mm. And what does it even mean to be okay? And why are we so obsessed with needing to be okay all the time? Like, why don't we just allow ourselves to be broken sometimes? Like I need to not be okay a lot of the time so I can figure my shit out. Like, I don't, maybe I don't want to be okay right now. Maybe this is where I need to be and I need to meet myself here. So, yeah. um, So that, and also I have a real, I really feel like when it comes to death, we need to say the word death instead of passes away, moved on is no longer with us. I think, again, I think the fear of death keeps us from like we keep ourselves from saying this word, like it's this four letter word. Mm. And so I've really sort of, you know, we talk about, we, like, I really make it a point to talk about death, dying die dead like these words that people struggle with and they're constantly trying to gloss over like when did he pass when did he when did your husband pass Mm -hmm. or when did your father pass and my kids are like he fucking died he died you can say the word like we can say these words if we can't say these words we're never gonna have a healthy relationship with this thing that we can't say Mm -hmm. so um yes that's my other one i i knew you'd have good ones (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you're right. It's such, oh, yes. It's so to just be be transparent with it. It's death. It's dead. It's done. It's not coming yeah. back. That's a part of me. It's like being born. It's a part of life. It's a miracle. Yes. It's what it is, you know, and yeah. it's going to happen. So get comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And, but we're, and we're comfortable. It's so interesting because like Halloween's coming up and like, we're really comfortable with Halloween and we love horror movies and we love death when it's like, pretend. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of the reasons we're obsessed with like macabre and horror movies and all the true, it's like, because it's a way for us to remove ourselves from something that we're actually really curious about, but aren't willing to, to, yeah. And aren't willing to really like do the work on our relationship to it. So we keep it over here and it's like this, you know, Mm. but, um, but yeah, if, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? I mean, it feels like very like self-helpy for me to say this, but I guess it would be no shame because I, I, I think in the end, the fall of every like societally, it is shame that keeps 
everyone from everything. I think that we have a real, a real issue with shame in our culture. Um, and I think a lot of us hold back in our lives because of shame, um, that we grew up with shame and that's kept us, you know, it's made us shame others. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think like in the end that's, yeah, yeah. You need less, yeah. less, less shame. Does that, I wonder, <laughs> and I guess it does. I don't know. I'm curious for you too. Does that, or not just for you, but your thoughts on it. I guess that does that come, that comes from a lack of self love, a lack of self worth that we feel shame on something and then everyone acts in it differently, but yeah, for sure. But I think so much of shame is, is like programmed into us. I think, I think that, that it has 90% to do with what we grew up with and how we were parented and how our parents were parented and, Mm -hmm. and whether we grew up with certain ideologies or dogmas, um, a, a small child doesn't feel shame. A, a toddler doesn't feel shame. That's not something that you were, you know, it's like mm. the world is constantly telling you to, to do or not to do certain things. And I think, especially in your formative years, you know, your parents tell you, you shouldn't do this, or you should do this, or your parents are having that own, their own personal shame. But I think like, I mean, so many people I know who grew up in like very ideological, evangelical situations Mm -hmm. and just like they cannot live their lives because they feel guilty every time they're doing anything that feels good to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think I mean, I think systemically shame keeps us keeps us here. Right. It keeps us from living our lives. So Mm -hmm. it keeps people in line. Right. It keeps. Yeah. You know, it keep if you're if you're if you're going to be shameless about your body, if you're going to be shameless about your reputation, if you're going to be shameless about not doing the things you're supposed to do, that doesn't work for a society that needs people to sort of you know toe the line. So it's sort of like emotional anarchy or, or like yeah. not have shame. Like shame's supposed to like keep us in line, right? Yeah, submissive. Um, it keeps you. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. It keeps us submissive. Exactly. And it keeps us passive and it keeps Mm -hmm. us out of our selves and unwilling to try new things, to be who we are, to be honest with our experiences. Um, And I think that's, that's sort of been my, that's been my big beat in the last few years is like, what, where, why, why would I feel ashamed to have this feeling that's so human? Why would I feel ashamed to do this, to want to do this thing that's so human? Like why? And I, and there's no, it it doesn't come from me. Where's it coming from? And how do I dismantle that? And how do I, you know, what can I do in my work, in my life as a parent, as a woman, as a partner, as a friend Mm. to dismantle that and within my, you know, my relationships, my experiences, um, mm. you know, it's, it really, I think about it a lot because I have, you know, I have four kids, I have three daughters. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot to raise mm. children in the world. And, you know, you, the, for me, like all I want is for them to be able to feel like they can be unapologetically themselves. Yeah. Um, and also to be, to, empower others to be as well right like not to put people down for who they are or not to like judge them for who they're not mm-hmm. um so again to validate feelings so to hold space yeah um so what a conversation Rebecca <laughs> thank you 
for taking this time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Everyone listening, I highly recommend all of this, a memoir of death and desire by Rebecca Wolf. Rebecca, this is very special. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap on up here today? No, it was just really lovely. It was so nice chatting with you and um, all the best and have a wonderful weekend. People of the world, Rebecca Wolf. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 